Welcome back. Now, third quarter GDP pulled back by 0.2%, largely driven by a near 10% decline in the agriculture, forestry and fishing industry as economic activity decreased in field crops, animal products and horticulture products. Gina Skuman, who's economist at Citibank, joins us with her analysis of this contraction and what it points to for a growth moving forward. Gina, thank you for your time this afternoon. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, Gina, we're finally seeing a contraction. I think we had anticipated maybe contraction in the past, but it's finally materialized uh, for uh, us. I'm wondering how to take stock of this, also considering that it is for the third quarter uh, of 2023. Well, many moving parts. So firstly, we can start off by the fact that we've had ongoing load shedding Mm -hmm. and rather severe. And I think that was something that helped us to avoid um, worse growth in the second quarter. Because remember, when we entered winter, we didn't have load shedding just as bad because we were lucky with wind and solar. So Q3 was unfortunately mired by load shedding, as has the whole year been. But at the same time, in Q3, we got pretty unlucky. We had taxi strikes. Mm-hmm. We had floods. Um, we had shutdowns across various sectors. So they're actually, in a, in a way, it's not a good thing that happened. But because of the one-off, it means that unless we get exactly the same or more type of one-offs in Q4, which we're already in, it's unlikely that growth will continue to be negative. It is likely that growth, you know, rebounds to positive. But again, you know, let's not get too constructive here. Mm-hmm. The number today contracting by negative 0.2% when you compare the two quarters was in line with our forecast. So very much in line with what we were expecting. And that means that we're still sitting on 0.7% for a growth forecast for 2023 overall. And I guess in some ways, people are going to look at that and say, but wow, you know, for the amount of load shedding, you know, we had, we actually didn't do too badly. And sure, maybe we didn't do too badly. But at the end of the day, this is still an economy that has struggled to grow for more than a decade. And with population growth at one and a half, it means negative real per capita growth. Well, it concerns me, Gina, about uh, this print, and maybe even similar with the prints that we've seen in the past year, is what's happening in, strict, in sectors like mining, manufacturing and construction, which are actually sectors that are able to create a lot of jobs, uh, but they seem uh, to be contracting uh, steadily. And then we have industries like finance and real estate, you know, that are kind of niche, uh, that need a certain level of skill, which we may not be able to produce uh, in South Africa. And those are the ones uh, that are expanding. And I'm wondering if, you know, this also means that with the current picture uh, there's absolutely nothing to be done up for unemployment not absolutely nothing to be done you know but this is where reforms come into play because you know what what you've effectively explained to all of us now is that the economy is split into two parts mining manufacturing and all of that is unfortunately weighed down so much by being heavy industry it relies a lot on logistics so there's your transnet problem in the ports and the railways it's a very expensive part of the economy to be in because not only do you have to pay for trucking and fuel but you also have to pay for wages and you've got trade unions who aren't always the most agreeable but at the same time you've also got the energy constraints you've had to do a lot to try and avoid that and get around it if you compare that financial services, retail, this is what we call the tertiary sector. I mean, this has always been the darling of the economy. Why? Because this is very much private sector led. And the private sector, as soon as they are able to gain any type of profitability, they use that in a very managed way in order to try and weather these storms. And at 
the end of the day, you know, it is easier because you're up against more if you're in agriculture and, you know, there you've even got the weather to contend with. Um, if, you, if you're dealing with, you know, tertiary, which is, again, retail sales, financial services, for example, you're dealing with a consumer who likes to consume. So if you put 100 rand into a consumer's pocket in South Africa, you're pretty much guaranteed that 100 rand is going to go straight into the retail sector and, and people will purchase things with it. This is why rand appreciation very strangely can boost GDP growth far quicker because it leads inflation lower than RAND depreciation. Because when the currency weakens, sure, it helps our exporters, but it has to weaken so much more to compensate for all these additional costs that come from all the inefficiencies if you're a big exporter in mining, construction, etc. So we've actually been this way for a very long time. And I think what we're all hoping for is that, yes, 2024 is going to be looking at logistics and transnet and ports and railway. And that is certainly a big obstacle to our economic growth. But if we have been able to look through 2023 and find ourselves in a better energy position next year, I think this is the big hope that you're going to get some forms of investment that might just start to make a little bit of a shift when it comes to employment. But it's very early days, let me just say so. I must also ask you, uh, Gina, about the South African household. Uh, we know that monetary policy is in restrictive territory. Uh, if I just look at a household consumption here, um, that decreased 0.3%. And uh, it looks like consumers are also spending on absolute necessities, education, health, you know, things that you kind of can't go without. Uh, I'm wondering there if we should see uh, interest rates coming off in about the second half of 2024. Should we expect this uh, to go back to what it used to do for GDP? Because we know that expenditure or household consumption is a huge part of our GDP. A massive part. It's two-thirds of GDP growth. And again, you know, you put that money into a consumer's pocket and that consumer will spend it and it will help growth. So what was quite interesting looking through the consumer um, pieces of, of GDP is that, yes, there were complete necessities um, that consumers spent their money on. But again, we still saw positive contribution coming from clothing. Mm. So yes, you could argue that some types of clothing are necessary, certainly school uniforms, etc., workwear. Um, but, but again, it shows that consumer appetite in South Africa. But to your point, you know, at the end of the day, I, I mean, almost puts us economists in a, a, a very simple position. Mm -hmm. It's quite easy to work out what GDP growth will do. Because if two-thirds of growth is directed from the consumer, and the consumer is spending pretty much all it gets, then what you need to work out is what is happening with inflation and what's happening with interest rates. Obviously, on top of that, what is happening with wages. Mm -hmm. But I think the point you're making and the point we all have to look at very carefully here is that inflation is going through a bumpy road at the moment. There have been some unfortunate fuel hikes. We're going to get the medical aid inflation early next year. But thereafter, in the absence, and I say that um, especially because we've had a lot of supply-side shocks, but in the absence of any supply-side shocks in 2024, that pretty much means the oil price, mm -hmm. you should have inflation going back down to 4.5% by the end of next year. Mm -hmm. Now, as soon as that happens, consumers have more disposable income, real disposable income, in order to spend in the economy. And if you add on to that, the, the SAR being able to reduce rates 
cycle. I wouldn't call it very much a cutting cycle. Don't get too excited because we would need inflation to do a lot more than just go to 4.5%. But we do know monetary policy is in restrictive territory. And if it's in restrictive territory, at some point, the SAB will be able to move it back to what we call neutral. Now, that is about 100 basis points. And it's very touch and go about when exactly that will start. We actually think it could happen in May next year. But yes, the risk is that it could be a little bit later. Nonetheless, 100 basis points down with inflation lower means that household consumption growth, certainly in the second half of next year, is going to look a whole lot better than it does at the moment. Inflation is up. Monetary policy is restrictive. So naturally, this is what causes consumers to pull back on their spending. And obviously, that also does help a little bit at the margin in terms of getting inflation lower. Okay, that's very, very comforting, Keen. I'm glad we spoke to you because I think it puts uh, things into perspective and also a matter of time and no shocks uh, and we should be able to see uh, some sort of light at the end of the tunnel. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure unpacking this with you. That was Gina Skuman. She's economist at Citibank.